It's part one of our episode with Matt Williams of NBC Sports Edge. Today, we'll recap and learn lessons from our recent expert leagues, including the Labor Mixed Auction and TGFBI. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, it's Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Special midweek episode as we get down to the nitty-gritty of draft season. We are so glad that baseball is back. How have you been, Ruven? Been good. Been busy trying to keep up with all these transactions that are going on. And the first spring training game is only two days away. Probably when people listen to this, spring training will have started already. Yeah, so excited for that. My head is spinning from all the transactions. I mean, wow. Fast and furious. It's really exciting, I have to say, that you can't go a couple of hours without some big name being traded or signing. Uh, It's just uh, Christmas in uh, March, I guess. Uh, But the good news is baseball is back. So there you go. Yep, and we keep refreshing Twitter to see what the next big trade or big signing is. It's great. There you go. Well, we have a great episode today. We're going to do a little bit about talking about spring training. We're also going to recap some of our expert leagues. Uh, And with us today from NBC Sports Edge, you also write at The Athletic and as the host of the Turn 2 podcast, welcome to the show, Matt Williams. How are you, Matt? Hey, pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I'm excited to talk baseball. Still, I it, it can't believe that like, just over a week ago, there was like still a lockout. And now all of a sudden, Reds fans just wish there was still a lockout. Yeah, Both Reds and both the Athletic supporters. At least, oh, my the, goodness. At least the Athletics fans saw, saw this coming. We knew that the, the Reds, I, I think the fans didn't want to believe that this kind of, this kind of fire sale was going to happen. Yeah. Well, at least the Reds and the Athletics had the 70s, right? there you go there you go well we jump right into it here and uh as we mentioned the top uh expert leagues uh last week uh we participated uh in the mixed labor auction i was there drafting with uh ruvain and uh matt you were in the auction as well and um you know i don't like to talk about our teams oh i got this player uh he's really great my infield's great but my outfield it, it doesn't really help anybody what i do want to get out of it is certain strategy elements to talk about what you did what i did and what we can learn uh and things like that so uh that is the purpose of going through this and you know but before we jump into that what were your overall thoughts about our mixed labor auction and you know y- your performance and are you happy with your team results yeah, I I am I'm very happy with the results. I want to build a balanced team and uh in a in a snake draft you can kind of you know you know what the ADP will be to a degree people will you know especially when you get into uh you know expert leagues or or uh, high stakes the you throw ADP out the window but you still have an idea of how the flow of the drafts going and there can only be so many players taken before you draft again. So you can have that you know a, a relatively different um strategy but an auction I mean you, you can get anybody you want, which is really why they're so fantastic. But my typical way of building a team like death by a thousand paper cuts, where I like to be very, very balanced is everyone kind of wants the same players. Everyone wants the players with a little power and a little speed. Uh, so, um, in this one, I knew I was going to have to be a little more, um, you know, a be, you know, do things a little differently. And, uh, but I did have a plan that boxed me into doing a couple things I was uncomfortable with, but I knew that, uh, I had other, you know, 
I spent a little more than I did. I wanted to on a couple of players, but I knew I had some um, cheaper options later. So overall, uh, yeah, I love how it turned out. All right, Ruvain, what are your thoughts on uh, the league in general? I thought it was actually a little bit tame. I was expecting for the top players to go for a lot higher. I was a little bit shocked by that. I was also a little bit surprised about the closers, that it actually went as if it was last year and there was no lockout. So I was pretty surprised with that. But I think we got pretty good deals on a lot of the players we wanted. We were trying to be very patient with what we did. Um, we waited on the closer market. That's something that I, that I, that I've been preaching and I know you're a little bit more for going after one of the top closers, but we actually waited and we actually had one of the players who we talk about a lot on this podcast fall into our lap and that's Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Interesting that, that we did get deGrom and, you know, talking as an actuary here being risk averse, never thought I'd actually purchase Jacob deGrom, but the price was so good. Um, actually, a lot of the pitching prices I thought were good. This was, as Ruvain said, this was a very cold temperature room. And the most important thing that I can tell you, folks, is when you're doing an auction, you take the temperature of the room in the first two rounds. And if the temperature is cold, if superstars are not going for vastly overpriced, it probably means you should buy one. Because the if 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 it's overpriced and everybody's overpriced, there's going to be a whole middle ground and there's going to be a whole slug of value somewhere in the low 20s, in the upper teens, that's going to be where the values are. But if the temperature is cold, if you don't get these $35, $40 players, you always get one or two there, but if you don't have a lot of people going there, the value is not going to be in the teens. The value is actually going to be in the upper 20s, low 30s, if you can snag some of those. So that's what we saw, and, you know, you never know what's going to happen. We made our best guess as to what the market is going to do. I think it's very, very important to prepare a market ADP. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated in auction, but it's worth doing just to know where you think the value is. And I think we guessed right in in the hitting side. I think we were wrong in terms of what positions. I think we thought corner infield would be better to go higher and middle infielder higher and outfielder cheaper. And it was just the total reverse of where we saw the values were. But the pitching, uh, we went right right heavy. I mean, we went Zach Wheeler. And obviously at the time, we didn't know about any shoulder issues or ramp-up issues. But uh, we went we went to Grum, spent money. We got Radon pretty early. Uh, we spent some money on pitching. And I think that was because we saw the pitching prices were low. And, you know, you got to jump on it right away. Uh, that That's sort of uh, the general gist of what I thought of the auction. Otherwise, um, our hitting is so super safe. Um, we're very big on get the counting stats, get the playing time, just pick values. And the middle infield values in the teens, oh, my goodness, our infield, uh, middle infield, we got tremendous value. We have uh, – um, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, all for about $15 a piece on average, which is phenomenal uh, to get that kind of star power in the middle. But, you know, again, it's it's see where the values are. And uh, don't be patient. Always never, uh, never overpay. Be patient and let the values come to you. But, of course, get some of those higher values if it's a cold temperature room. Otherwise, you won't be able to get those middle. I said a lot there. <laughs> Any of that makes sense, Matt? Sorry, I didn't know you were directing that at me. Yeah, in general, uh, yeah. I mean, the idea is to typically always be patient. It doesn't always happen that way, um, especially, like you said, the way this draft went. It wasn't 
uh, play, the players that I thought would <laughs> would go for cheaper and expensive, it was a little backwards. But uh, I think the more important thing is to still, you know, you still want to be getting to certain thresholds uh, in, as far as your own projections for the categories. Because in the end, after the draft ends, the the prices mean absolutely nothing. You, uh, regardless of how much you pay, you want to make sure you get um, the actual stats you need <laughs> out of the players you are acquiring. But uh, yeah, the uh, what everything you said uh, is definitely the best way to go about it. Um, I went a little, I don't want to say stars and scrubs. I did that with my pitching more, uh, like that. Like I, that we'll get to my team in a little, like, probably in the next few questions here, but like I took Garrett Cole because I, uh, my whole thing is I wanted one of the few guys that I thought were safe. Uh, and then I was just going to wait, um, because there was tons of pitching that were inexpensive. I knew I could get even for a dollar, uh, I ended up just supplanting him with like, you know, Trevor Rogers and Eduardo Rodriguez. And I was very happy with that top three. And I knew there was like a ton of other pitchers I could fill in, especially in a league with waivers. So, um, yeah, I, I just got Cole and kind of went with whatever fell to me there. As far as yes, hitting, there was a few things I want to make sure I got out of there as far as like, you know, Cedric Mullins and Luis Robert, I just wanted to get a couple of power and speed guys there. Um, and the rest of the way, I mean, a lot of the moderate power and speed guys were going for quite a lot, which is, you know, what actually led to me spending a little more <laughs> on Manny Machado just because he was uh, one of the last third basemen to go, which we, you know, we'll get into in a little bit probably also. But, um, you know, he was – we'll get to it in a little bit. So, uh, you know, we'll get into the specifics of my team. But, yeah, overall, uh, yeah, I agree with your assessment of, yeah, you want to let the values come to you. But, yeah, at a certain point, uh, if you have a build in mind – you do need to keep in mind where the statistics are available at the players that are left. If you had somehow missed out on certain, uh, certain options at a position, you got to know what kind of statistics are left on the board, how much risk comes with them. And then, you know, if, uh, if, if push comes to shove, you just have to spend some extra money. And it's also knowing the room because we knew a lot of people who are drafting that we've drafted with them before. So we know who the, who certain, uh, managers want to have on their team like we know that Jeff Zerman wants a certain type of pitcher he likes the closers or he likes the middle 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 like we do also so that that comes into advantage also and we've spoken about this in the past about knowing your competition this is l sort of like a home league if you've played in this league a couple of times you see the same players over and over again you know what they're going to go for you know who's going to go stars and scrubs and you know basically how to balance your team based on how other teams are picking during the course of the draft. Yeah, a lot of the plan was because we do know, as Ruben said, some of the players, and you don't want to make a plan in the spaces that other people tend to play. Obviously, you know, there's 11 other teams, so you can't be perfect there, but, you know, you have to be cognizant of who's going to get where. Um, I didn't set up the league, by the way, but this is a 12-team mixed league, standard 5x5 five five positions and scoring categories, short bench, five players, unlimited IL, but the fab is $100 only, and it's $1 minimum. So you do have to watch some of the fab. Um, I want to ask a couple questions about your team to highlight certain strategy differences you might have had with me. So here we go. Closers. You bought Edwin Diaz as your main closer. A small premium, not a ridiculous price, $21. Um, and then you bought a relatively inexpensive Kimbrel. Three bucks, who doesn't have a team right now, and that's pretty much it. Uh, in a 12-team mixed league, by my calculations, you pretty much need about three closers, or at least two and a half, to really be viable. You don't really have that. Um, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to mock you here. 
I'm trying to get the information as to why you set that up. I'm assuming that you're going to have to spend some waiver wire capital on Fab to get savers in the middle of the season. Does that mean that you think that it is easier and more efficient to do so? I just want to get a sense of what that strategy was all about. Maybe that wasn't your plan, or maybe it was. Let's say you about the closers. Yeah, I mean, it's 12-team league, so I mean, there's just going to be like a monstrous amount of talent on the waiver wire. Uh, Edwin Diaz, I wanted to get one of the top, like, four, five closers. Uh, I don't count like a Roldis Chapman in there. Emmanuel Classe scares me a little bit. So there's only a couple that I was really interested in getting. So Diaz is one of them. Um, a couple of the big ones are already off the board. So I wanted to grab him. Craig Kimbrell. I mean, I, he, he's going to be a closer no matter what the, I know Tony Russa comes out and says, Oh, he's, I plan on him being on the team. What else, what else is he going to say? He's on the team now. Uh, they've added so many pieces this offseason. He's gone. I mean, he's gone. If he's not traded, I will eat my own hat. <laughs> he's a closer. Uh, and then the, after that, I took Devin Williams for like a dollar. Uh, he's, I, Josh Hader is always, always, um, is always uh, rumored to be being traded. And this, this season, with the amount of or lack thereof of, of, uh, of quality left-handers on the market and for how much uh, teams could be spending, I really do expect Hater to be traded. That's obviously a risk. Uh, but for me, for I spent um, a lot of money in a couple players early. I had to go cheap. So for me, I just had to try to take a, a, a cheap, you know, uh, the cheaper route at the end. And uh, you know, if, you know, if Tater gets traded, I, I have a top five closer in Devin Williams. If he doesn't, then yeah, I'll have to be aggressive on the waiver wire, which isn't ideal. But again, it's not a 15 team league. Um, I should be able to to figure something out. Uh, you know, I could I could easily fish in the San Diego or Seattle pond and you know or Tampa Bay and and end up uh, pulling uh, pulling some out of there. That's not ideal, but uh, yeah, I'll probably have to be aggressive on the waiver wire uh, to get someone I like uh, and try to take maybe a couple of stabs here. Um, I didn't want to necessarily do that on my bench uh, in the snake draft uh, version of this one in the, uh, cause we, you know, we auction off all starters and then, you know, you snake draft for the bench. And I, you know, I wanted to get, I wanted to take a couple of risks there on uh, some players that I, I would need a lot more um, rather than just like completely strike out on guessing on a closer. So that's kind of the idea I had. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with Kimbrell um, and uh, Devin Williams is a gamble, but in regardless, he'll be useful for me anyway. Okay, so that was the plan, pretty much, and you you pretty much stuck to it. Uh, so I guess success on your end, right? Yeah, uh, I I, I would have um, I've bid on a couple of like the the cheaper options there, but uh, again, I, I kind of hamstrung myself a little earlier, which is something you don't want to do. So I couldn't really afford to go the extra couple of dollars on on a couple um, a couple of the cheaper guys. But again, there was no one I really loved at the back end. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean. Right. And and was that because was that because you spent thirty five on Cole that it was a budget issue on the pitching end? No, actually ended up being. Uh, okay. We'll get to this. I spent thirty seven on Machado, um, who okay. again he was one of the last third basemen's who who were put up uh, that I considered a startable option. And I got into a betting war with Jeff Zimmerman, who desperately needed him. I think his starting third baseman right now is um, is Evan Longoria, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, he has uh, Chris Bryant in his outfield. Uh, so I knew power and speed. He was a perfect fit for my team. I knew I had some cheaper options later. I like for pitching. So I decided that was a better move for my team to spend the extra couple of dollars there. It cost me later, not being able to maybe secure a, um, a third pitcher with a clearer path to saves, but I still okay. prefer the method I went because yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to go on the waiver wire and I'll have to get some, I'll have to get a uh, relief pitcher, but uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I don't okay. mind. 
So, all right. So on our end, uh, Ruvain, uh, you know, so our plan, of course, is always to get some saves. And, you know, we discussed before the actual auction that um, we think that the value is not in the top. And I know I was advocating for getting a top closer, but we thought that they were too expensive and we were going to go middle, middle. Our options range in sort of the bargain, not the bargain bucket, the middle bucket of Corey Knable, Taylor Rogers, Blake Trinan. And actually, we bought all three. I thought at a pretty reasonable price. We got Knable at 10 we got Rogers at 8 and Shrine at 6 so $24 for two closers, one who currently has the job if uh, Jansen signs elsewhere. Um, you know, tell us about, about uh, what you thought there. And by the way, we also bought Gregory Soto in the uh, snake round, so technically we have four potential closers of the team. Uh, I guess you have to say, Ruben, we executed that exactly as planned. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we did. However, we were trying. I think Matt was the one who beat us out on 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 Edwin Diaz. We actually yeah, were yeah. thinking about having Edwin Diaz as our main closer because we were trying to do that. But when we saw his price get to where it was, we started to pivot, and that's when you have to be able to change and you have to be able to have a backup plan in case these things don't work out. So that's why we got Corey Knable, and Corey Knable looks like he will be the closer. Um, so that for ten bucks, I'll take the closer on the Phillies. That's 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 a no brainer. Blake Trinan, just like Devin Williams. They're good middle relievers. So even if they're not closing, they'll get you good ratios, they'll get your strikeouts, and there's always a possibility that they will save. And then you're talking about getting Gregory Soto at the end. You have Taylor. Uh, Gregory Soto is, is a dart because I really don't want to have to play him if we don't have to because his, his ear and whip are god-awful. Um, but you also have Taylor Rogers, who... Until he eventually, probably, he'll also get traded. Um, he's a good saves option as well. And just to have those in early on to try to get as many saves guys in there early to get the saves early. Because when they're named closer, they're closer for at least a month, maybe more, depending on their pedigree. And you'll get to keep those saves. Even if they get traded, you know, you'll still be, get, get, to keep, get to keep those saves. And the way the room was going... I think we got the best value where we were only because the top guys, again, were very expensive, like like the Edwin Diaz and the, and the Liam Hendricks. They're just, two, they're just two out of our ballpark because we're trying to fit a budget. And and Matt, you mentioned about the third base. We actually got screwed over at third base also. We have Justin Turner as a starting third baseman. So we were trying to go for Manny Machado, but again, we set our limits and we made sure not to go over those limits because if we would have spent that money on Manny Machado, we would not have gotten the other players that we wanted. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh your your method is it's it's two ways to go about it. At me, I just wanted to I wanted to put something on the board and I know and I knew in a 12 team league I'm pretty comfortable with my player analysis especially you get some uh players in season as well. So I figured all right, I'm just going to get the guys I want, get my rock solid um base and then the the rest of it I try to figure out. It's definitely a risk. Uh, but again, I wanted to, you know, have a little fun with this league too and I'm confident in my ability to pick them up. So yeah, the uh, I I your strategy was definitely solid, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, just two ways to go about it. Either you want to go safe and uh, and make sure that you're not weak anywhere, or I, I decided to kind of fill in a little more at the top and uh, take a shot on some uh, some people at the bottom. Right, right. I, wa- I want to talk about the Manny Machado thing. Um, yep. Now, you bought him for 37. I have to imagine on your value sheet, you did not have him anywhere near 37. Am I right? No, I have him at like 32. Okay. All right. Well, that's not a ridiculous overpay. I mean, we had him in the twenties, but uh, you know, but even that, that's a five dollar overpay on on your value sheet. The question to you is: obviously, we, we know why you did it because it was at a point not many players left. You probably had the money to do it, and you wanted a good third baseman. Totally understand the why. Question is: how do you know 
when you need to drop out of a bidding war? Like, how do you know, okay, I can't go more than $5 over value? Like, there's got to be a point where you say, that's ridiculous, or now I'm losing value in my team. Now I'm throwing out money. I'll I'll just drop to a dollar. Like, how do you know the breaking point of what you have to do? Yeah, you have to, I mean, you have to know what your plan is for the rest of your roster, and you have to know the rest of the player pool available in order for you to do that. So for me, I was comfortable at that point where I saw that, you know, what the available inventory at third base was and what I had available to me to, if I lost Machado, how I would make up for that in the other positions. And I didn't think I had that. I mean, I ended up spending a, a very little on the last couple of, in, I had Conforto, Ian Happ, Max Kepler. I spent like nothing on those three and, and me spending extra money in the outfield to make up for losing a Manny Machado actually wasn't going to happen for me. Uh, and again, I was comfortable waiting late on pitching. So, and, uh, any, you know, a couple of the top, top catchers are already off the board. So there was no, um, the best path for me to building the team I wanted was to secure Machado. So I just had to, in that instance, go above, um, the extra $5 completely because it was, uh, the best fit for my team. If it was like earlier in the draft, I, I definitely would have, you know, if he was one of the first third basemen, I don't love Manny, which he's not like a $37 player to me. I wouldn't even have uh, gone there, but again, it's a position where, I don't think it's as desolate as some make it out to be. There's plenty of uh, late options I think are very intriguing, but it's definitely the position that lacks safety. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to get one of those, and especially in the instance where uh, even some of my late targets were already missing, Machado just made sense for me. But the, yeah, to, to reiterate my um, answer to your question, yeah, you, you have to know um, when you're bidding on a player, if, you know, if you were to lose him or if you were to overpay, uh, can you make that, you know, can you make the rest of your team work? And if you were to lose out on them, can you use that money you didn't spend to, uh, make up for that loss in other positions? And yeah, in this instance, I, I felt I had to, to spend the extra few dollars and I just had to secure him. Okay, interesting. I, I mean, I, I disagree with that strategy of you need to pay $5 over. You know, I, I'm not saying I'm exactly like Larry Schechter where you can't go a penny over, but uh, I think $5 is quite a bit of an overpay. Well, well here's, the, here's, what I, here's what I meant by um, when the draft is over, the uh, values mean nothing, and I really mean that, is uh, me missing out on Manny Machado and ending up with Evan Longoria – that extra $5 wasn't going to make up the difference between the two <laughs> anywhere else. Uh, if I, if I didn't spend the $5 on Machado and I spent the extra $5 on any other position to upgrade it or upgrade a couple, I don't think I could have made up that difference. Okay. You, uh, um, sure. I mean, uh, obviously if you're going to upgrade somebody with an extra $5 upgrading somebody at the Manny Machado level is a lot better than upgrading you know, one of your your fourth outfielder for five dollars more, you're not getting that much better player. But of course, the five dollars extra for Machado, you are. Um, I, I just think that overspend is a lot. I think that mathematically, you know, five dollars in order to win a, a, an auction, you got to come out really positive. You have to have positive profit. Um, and when you're taking a five dollar hit, it's hard to make that up. You sure? You know, your bottom outfield slots are excellent. You got a one dollar Max Kepler. That, that's going to a couple bucks profit. Ian Happ, a dollar two profit. Conforto, you know, it's hard to make up plus plus gain at the same time. So, you know, my limit, I would say to people, is probably about $3 at the top level. Uh, somewhere in the middle, we're talking about $2, a dollar. 
the you, you can do it once. You can do it once in an auction. Uh, maybe that's the one thing that you had is that's the one guy you did. Um, mo- repeating that obviously doesn't work. So you know maybe you know it has to do with the money that you had at that time and it made sense for you. Um, I, I try. Yeah, to- it entirely yeah. depends on the circumstances and when you do it. Uh, uh, it, it. Normally, I would agree with you in a general sense, but I said it, it entirely. The, the the example I the example I said about spending the extra money is um like I said like Machado to Longoria is the the production again forgetting the actual value in which you paid for him the a production I'm getting in Machado versus Longoria the gap between those two players if I spent that extra five dollars um that I did if I didn't spend it on Machado and I dropped to Longoria that extra money I don't think I could have made up in another position is basically sure. what I'm saying but yeah typically I would I would agree with you but in the end once you're into the auction and um so many players are off the board, then it becomes a matter of more of how do I get to the end goal of the statistics I want to get on the board um, rather than how much money I have to get them because I, you know, I, I might have very different values than the rest of everyone. I have ideas sure. of people I can maybe get cheaper because at a certain point, um, you know, there was a lot of outfielders on the board uh, and, and it just looked like, all right, uh, I'm definitely going to be able to get some cheap outfielders and starting pitching at the end of this draft. Right. And I can start filling out mentally in my head um, some different spots where I'll definitely be able to spend way under what I think I have to. And so I just, you know, that, you know, you just make the quick math in your head and decide, all right, I can do something a little unorthodox here and, um, and, you know, make something that I think fills out the roster a little better. Right. Anything to add, Ruvain? Yeah, I don't have an issue with him going $5 over as long as you're able to balance your budget the rest of the way. So if, if you took that money out, if you took it from somewhere because you budgeted, let's say, $32 for Machado, if you took it out from someplace else, you just had to make sure that you allocated the rest of your money elsewhere during the course of the draft so you wouldn't shortchange at another spot because you had to do the overspend, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of things do come out there. Um, and, and again, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just trying to say that um, m- my method is value-value, and uh, I'm very, very hesitant to ever do that. Um, you know, that, that you know, you had uh, – uh, what's it called? You had um, uh, Rafael Devers. He, he went for 32. Uh, I, I value Devers more than Machado, not that much more, but – Pay five dollars more. I could have gone to thirty three for Devers. You know, I, it, I think it, I think that's the thing. I don't necessarily care. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely don't care about what other people are spending. I care about what I'm spending in order to get what I think I need to uh, put myself in a position to win. Um, so I don't necessarily care what the, De- yeah. Devers went earlier though. I think so. So I think oh, you said Mach- Machado was like the last one up there. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah, you're yeah, desperate yeah. and you're desperate and you get in the heat of the moment, you end up spending the extra dollar or two, especially on an online auction. When you're in person, I think it may have been a little bit different. You may have been maybe the, the been a little bit calmer. But when when you get in the heat of the moment, you're like, uh oh, there's nobody left. I got it. You know what? Just one more dollar. You know what? Fine. Let me try to beat him out by one more dollar. And that and then all of a sudden it turns out to five dollars. Yeah, and you know, here's a lesson. Also, it's an economics lesson that if you are the last, if if you really do want Machado from the get go, and he is the last third baseman out, and especially if it's late, that price is going to be inflated, as you saw here. So, if you really do want Machado from the start, it's really incumbent on you to nominate him much earlier, so that you don't have to pay the five over. You might have to pay two over. But you're going to be artificially inflated. I mean, obviously, you would have loved to pay 34 instead of 37. And I think that because it came out that late, you were forced to do that. So the the suggestion I'm saying is, um, you know, nominate some people that you might need a little bit earlier 
uh, if it's part of your plan. Otherwise, you might get artificially inflated. I should add, I I'm not in love with Manny Machado. He wasn't a, he wasn't even a, he wasn't even a target of mine. It's just the way. Uh, it, I mean, and um, honestly, if it wasn't for, I mean, I was in a bidding war with one person, Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, if me and her, me and him were probably like hating that the other person existed at that exact moment. Uh, you know, if he had if he had like secured like one other person earlier. I mean, it was just it was also a a timing thing where again I wasn't in a bidding war necessarily with several people at a certain point. Once it got to like the the twenty nine dollar range it was just me and jeff going back and forth so uh, there was that as well so it wasn't um, necessarily uh he wasn't necessarily even a target of mine it's just the way right. the, the way the draft went talk a little bit about nominations here and what i did notice and i always look to see what people are doing for nomination um we'll get to what jeff did in a minute but uh what what you did is you nominated players and you actually didn't buy any player that you nominated other than uh, Jamer Candelario for four dollars, somewhere toward the end, Was I actually your... regret that. By the way, more than Machado. When I when four? I spent four dollars for Candelario, I was like, God, why did I bother doing? Yeah. That? Well, in any case, um, the 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 question though is, was it your strategy not to nominate players that you wanted to buy? Were, were you trying to get money off the board? You also nominated a lot of speed players, I saw. Mondesi, Rosarina were your first two nominations. Pretty soon after that, Miles Straw. Were you trying to test speed? Just trying to get into the mind of, of what your nomination strategy was. Not really. I don't necessarily even consider Rosarina a big speed guy. I mean, he stole like, he went out of his way to steal like five or six bases in the last week to get to, to, get to the threshold he did. Um, I, I, I put up Mondesi because I absolutely wanted nothing to do with him. And I thought that there could be a couple of players that were maybe basing their draft strategy around acquiring him. Um, so I thought, you know, we'll, we'll get a one massive player off the board and I'll get an idea of, uh, you know, the rest of the landscape in, um, you know, in stolen bases. Rosarina is just a player I have no interest in as well. Uh, I know some people like, like the ceiling. I, I literally wouldn't have bid us like, you know, a couple, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bid half of what he went for. Um, because I think that there is this massive floor. He, I think that with his plate discipline, he really could end up being like a platoon player. It is the raise after all. Um, so I just wanted nothing to do with him at all. So it wasn't even necessarily getting speed off the board. It was just, um, yeah, I, I more or less like, um, getting rid of a couple players. I know I won't need, I did bid on quite a few guys that I put up, but, um, yeah, in in general terms, uh, this this draft, yeah, I didn't put up too many people that I had like my heart set on. Ruben, we, we definitely don't do that, right? No, I mean, I, well, actually, this draft we did it a little bit, a little because our first two picks we had Wheeler and we had Degrom, right. so we had no, and we, I mean, we weren't expecting that. That that was not part of our plan coming into this, coming into the draft, not at all. Um, what we did want to do is wanted to test the market for the players that we wanted initially. And once we did that, we started just nominating pitchers, the high price pitchers, because we didn't need that. And we needed the money to come off the board. So the offensive guys that we wanted, the prices would come down. We're trying to manipulate the market that way by trying to make the, the pitching more pricey, get them off the board, get the money off the board. And then we were able to jump in and get the deals on offense. I think that's, that's sort of what we did, I believe. Yeah. What you want to do in an auction, I think, is that you want to be, in terms of dollars, somewhere in the middle. I like even being a little bit at having more money than most, but you definitely don't want to be down. If you've, We've spent $50 very early on two pitchers. We were not getting another $25 pitcher, so we, we were in a position to wait a little bit on hitting prices to come down, and we definitely weren't going to play in the top pitcher prices. So at that point, we were nominating 
players we didn't want, particularly pitchers. Uh, but in general, you know, I, I think it does pay to mix it up. At some point, as I mentioned before, the information of, hey, you know, we don't want, we want, we want uh, Machado. Well, we have to put him out now, or he's going to go too high. And you know, the, the information is important for nominations. And I, I generally like nominating players I want more than not. But, of course, if you're buying players, you want to get that money down. So everything you have to be prepared for. Speaking of nominations, Jeff Zimmerman, uh, I knew, and I don't know if you, you, you know Jeff in, in auctions, he always nominates designated hitters, uh, the utility guys first. He wants to clog people's things up. And usually they go for a discount early. I'm sorry, they, they usually go with, for a discount if they come up later in the auction. But that's why he wanted to get rid of the bargain early. So Fran Reyes, for example, which I, I love Fran Reyes this year, uh, but I was not prepared to spend $15 for him. I was hoping for like a $10 sneaky purchase, but he came out in one of the first three rounds because Jeff Zimmerman nominated Otani, Fran Reyes, and Nelson Cruz. I knew, I told Ruvain during it, He's going to nominate one of those three, and I didn't know what order, but he he nominated those three. Um, you, now, but you you're the one of the guys who bought him. You bought Fran Reyes, which I have no problem putting him in a utility slot. Um, you bought him at fifteen dollars. Did you like the price? And what are your thoughts for Fran Reyes in general? I did. I, I had no plans to get Fran Reyes in this draft. I had him priced, uh, I think, at like eighteen. Um, I love him. I I, I think there's. Uh, I mean, he's he's a. He, I, you can always say that you, he's a small adjustment away from being a monster. I like him the way he is. Uh, 254 with 30 home runs last year. I think he's definitely uh, uh, ha- he's definitely a 40 home run bat with an adjustment. He's a 50 home run bat. So I know as as um, for myself, I tend to draft such a balanced team. Again, I said the death by a thousand paper cuts. I love to get guys with little power and little speed and just build like an entire team like that. I knew it wasn't going to go that way, and I always end up being a little light on power. It's just the way that I know I draft. So I thought, all right, um, I have this guy priced up at a couple of dollars. It's right in the beginning here. I can secure a, a fantastic power hitter, in my opinion, put him right on my board so I can kind of draft the rest of the draft the way I'm comfortable doing with the kind of players I want to and knowing that I've kind of already put a ton of power on the board. So yeah, usually in a snake draft, uh, I wouldn't want to like, you know, throw a, you know, you don't like to fill up your utility too much, but in this one where I knew I had the ability to do whatever I wanted. Um, yeah, I kind of like putting him up there because there's 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 obviously a lot of power late. But I, I thought in this room, the the guys that I would have interest in, like the trendy guys later, they're not going to go necessarily for cheaper. So uh, here I saw a guy I liked go um, that happened to be priced a, a few dollars under where I actually had him valued. And I just decided to just put him on the board. And Matt, you know what? We're in the same TGFBI league. Guess who has Framilores in that league? <laughs> I, do. You have him? I do. So, so I, I agree with you with Fran Moraes, and you have to get him at the at the right price. And I thought he was valued at the right price. You had the fourth pick in the TGFBI. Mine was six. I'm sure if Fran made it back around, you probably would have grabbed him there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely uh, like Fran a lot. People love to discount that utility only, but I think he goes late enough, um, and I think I'm confident enough on what he's going to bring me. Where I, I'm, yeah, I'm very happy to add him. Yeah. And to highlight a point that you made, you know, if you see yourself in general in drafts not getting enough power, to tilt a little bit more towards power is a good thing. I think that, you know, everyone has their own strengths and you play to them. And if your weakness is not getting enough power, that's definitely a a policy that you should do is tilt a little bit more. Same thing with hitter versus pitcher. If you're better at pitchers, maybe tilt a little bit more towards hitters so that, you know, you, you 
compile a better team from that, and you'll weasel yourself into a better team on on your strength. So, well, I here's one that. thing uh, we were talking about earlier. This this actually ties back to the the Manny Machado discussion, where I I, t- I tied in Fran Mill, and I usually like to go again little power and little speed with the other guys. I got Cedric Mullins. I actually got him a little cheaper than I thought he would, but I don't think he's a 30-30 player. I think he's going to regress, but I still like what he's going to give me. Um, so I have him, and then I have Robert, little power, little speed. Kepler, power, little speed. Ian Happ, power, little speed. Uh, Gene Segura, same thing. Trevor Story, um, Ryan McMahon, a little speed, a little power. Uh, and I didn't I didn't really get like any big boppers. So again, when it came down to third base where I got this guy who could give me 30 home runs and some speed, uh, I just it just made sense for me because again, right. I, I ended up going a little light on power the rest of the way. I mean, I'm pretty balanced. I don't have anyone giving me like, I don't have any of the miles straw type, um, you know, zero home, zero, one, two, three home run guys. Um, the lowest uh, power guy I have is like Christian Vasquez. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just, a, you know, another thing. It's just, I know the way I draft and I know how I'm uh, sometimes it's going to be tough for me to make up certain things. Cause I tend to, yeah, tend to lean certain directions. Yeah, and you fit your roster, you know, and sometimes the statistics, the the way it fits in your roster is also worth the extra bucket as well. So I'm sure that factored in. Um, let's talk about catchers. Uh, you went to two two dollar catchers, Carson Kelly, Christian Vasquez. Those are not bottom of the barrel catchers when you have two catchers to take, but they're certainly not stars. And you certainly spent four bucks, which is I mean, the minimum you can spend is two bucks, so you, know, you spent the extra dollar on each to get them. Wondering, was that your plan on thoughts? And I do like the fact that you put the two uh, because you can actually get a much better catcher if you just go to the two rather than the one. So you might as well do the extra dollar, you know. Uh, early, in, I actually thought the elite catchers went for way too cheap, at least where actually I had them priced. I know you have to see what the room is doing and no reason to spend over what you have to when there's a lot of, you know, if no one else is is going to, but I, I really tried to get JT real Muto and uh, I, I couldn't get my bid button to work, but it was just an isolated incident user error on my part. Um, so I didn't get him. So I actually tried to acquire there. And then um, at the very, towards the end where I was kind of uh, saving my money to get a couple, you know, spend the extra couple of bucks so I can get like the Eduardo Rodriguez of the world uh, on my pitching staff at a certain price. I just wanted to make sure I got a couple of catchers. I liked, I knew Christian Vasquez is someone I wanted to kind of get, because I love that he kind of gives you that sneaky power. I think that uh, him last year was kind of, I think, an, a little bit of anomaly for how um, lackluster his entire line was. I expect him to bounce back to a degree. So I liked him at two bucks. And uh, Carson Kelly came up, and I and really it could have been one of a few different options. Someone bid him for a buck. I was hoping to get him, and I knew – he, you know, he had to he increase his barrel rate to over 8%. I think that he's going to have a nice year, um, healthy for the Diamondbacks. So I expect to bounce back, you know, uh, to a degree, there's still be a terrible team, but, uh, I think that uh, he was just one of those guys I liked. So if I could just get him for two bucks, I'll lock up my two catchers and move on because after the certain like top, I want to say like top seven or eight catchers are down, uh, I, you know, you can really, I can really make an argument for the the rest of the guys, the next 10 in any order. I really, if I knew Mitch Garver was going for four, um, I probably would have maybe readjusted my, readjusted my thoughts and, and tried to nail him down. But in general, yeah, I just wanted to grab a couple of uh, catchers. I was happy with for two bucks each. So I'm happy with where I went. Obviously I, like I said, with the Mitch Garver type situations, I would have rather, you know, obviously gotten him for like two more dollars if I could have, but you know, crystal ball don't have it. Yeah. 
Well, you know, with uh, Mitch Garver, I think it was our mistake that we didn't nominate him earlier. Not because I think we were going to get him, because I know that Ray Murphy really likes Mitch Garver. And I think that $4 for him probably would have been like $8 if we nominated him early and people had money to bid on him. Yeah, uh, so, I ex- even even where he went, I actually expected him to go for more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, you know, again, if you that was one guy that if you know a guy really likes somebody, sometimes you nominate him early and you can get the money off the board. There, obviously, there are other priorities to nominate, so we didn't really focus on, you know, yeah. bidding up Ray Murphy in particular, but just not. I'm noticing that phenomenon. Uh, our plan, which we stuck to, really worked, um, and I think I think our catcher situation moving was great. We got Yasmani Grandal for $8, Gary steal. Sanchez for 2 That was a steal, by the yeah, way. I was, was such yeah. a steal. $8 was a really big steal. We valued him probably around $13, $14. By our estimation, the sweet spot of the best price catchers were not at the Riamuto level. It was at the Grandal Contreras, and we were prepared to get anybody who fell roughly 10 to 12 bucks. Grandal fell to us at 8 so we were like, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, and that's the way we played it, and we're going to go cheap. Again, I like the $2 play because then you're not getting a dollar. The dollar ones go really, really deep. Just spending that extra dollar affords you to get something much better. So we budgeted two, uh, and at that point we got uh, Gary Sanchez. Take a shot at him. Do I like him? Not really, but sure, $2. What the heck? Um, makes sense, Ruben, right? Yeah, that's basically what happened. The only thing is that Jeff Zerman threw a monkey wrench there. After he, st- after he nominated the, de- the designated hitters, he got two catchers. He got JT Ramuto, and he got Wilson Contreras. So then he started nominating all the catchers, and he was triggering the catcher market. So maybe that's why we got our Yasmani Grandel cheaper, just because people were— it was still early on, relatively early on in the draft, and people didn't want to spend on catcher. They wanted to spend elsewhere because everyone is seeing how their team shapes up, and they see, you know what? we I can wait. I can get the $2 catcher later, just like Matt, just like you did. If you didn't get the top guy, you know what? Why am I going to spend for a middle guy? Or if I just miss a middle guy, let me just stay at the bottom. Because it's a two-catcher league, 12 teams. You could drop the second catcher if they're not doing well. You can just churn the second catcher. You don't need to spend money there. You can spend money elsewhere. Yeah. the, the two Getting two top catchers, I'm not in love with in this type of format. Jeff Zimmerman did, did that. He spent $33 to get Real Muto and Contreras, which, um, I mean, those are excellent catchers. And I think the values on them were great, but... You know, it's a lot of money invested in catcher, and catchers aren't the greatest uh, greatest commodity there. And, of course, if one goes gets hurt, the replacement level is a much bigger drop than any other position. So putting two people in the same, you know, it's, it's a lot more risk to take uh, from a uh, profile risk perspective. But uh, there you go. Um, you know, just to wrap up the, this labor discussion, any regrets what you have, would have done differently, perhaps, uh, Matt? I, I will say, though, that I, I – I, I mean, I, maybe I was slow or I, I was trying to push it, but Matt Olson at 19 was I, – I thought I pressed it more. And I'm like, what, did that just go for 19? That was like a what? What the heck just happened there? Uh, that was a regret that we didn't push the extra dollar, especially since we were going to go heavy on corner infield, or at least on one corner infielder. Um, and the other price I thought um, – I thought Bichette went very, very cheap. I thought I was pr- predicting it to go a lot higher, and being that the room was so cold – Probably should have gone to 36 on Bichette. A um, little bit of a regret on that. But otherwise, I don't really have any any regrets. What about you? Hindsight being 2020, I wish I would have just bought Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Days. yeah, that would have been the way to go. But uh, overall, um, not too bad. I mean, I, I think in the end, I like what I did. I probably wish I could have. I probably um, would have uh, split Garrett Cole 
uh, into um, upgrading. Like, you know, I've drew Rasmussen on my team. I I probably would have like taken that spot in Cole and maybe split that into two, um, you know, <laughs> maybe sp- spend that money on two different pitchers. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very balanced. I, I, I like where I'm at, but that would be probably the only thing that uh, I would have, uh, I would have changed up. All right. Let's talk a little bit about TGFBI. Uh, you two, uh, Ruvain and Matt, are in the same league, league number one. A bunch of big hitters in that one. I don't want to go through the whole team, but I do want to point out if there are any trends. You know, what, what kind of trends did you gather from there? Anything that we can share with uh, the audience that might help them in, in their drafts going into, uh, you know, their in the next month in whatever their, uh, their leagues right now? Man, not really. Um... It, 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 you just have to, I, I, it's funny, me and me and Reuben, we both got, uh, we both third base, both dried up for us in this particular league too. I drafted Ryan McMahon wanting to start him at, uh, at middle infield. I ended up with him, uh, drafting Luis Arias literally just to have the position eligibility and then, uh, grab JD Davis late purely because I think he's going to be traded and get some at bat somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, overall, um, this, the, the draft kind of went and, fairly standard. It was very, very slow moving. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, nothing really out of the ordinary in this one. Uh, the, the top closers all kind of went early. Um, like it, like it happens in most drafts, nothing really, nothing really out of the ordinary here at all, to be honest. You were very high on a kill Badoo, I say. I love Badoo. Uh, some people don't like him. Uh, I, I see a guy that was a rule five draft pick that, uh, you know, didn't play like above like a ball before jumping up into the major leagues and he held his own. And then of course the league adjusted to him cause he did, wasn't very experienced, but he really improved his plate discipline down the stretch, which is huge. So I think he comes out the year there's, there's, it's not without risk, but he is someone that I think could definitely take the jump into that next level. It could be like a 25, 25 guy. So, um, in a league like TGFBI where, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting kind of for the overall, uh, not that there's you know, a problem with like trying to win your own league, but you are trying to like shoot for the moon a little bit in an overall situation. I'll take, I'll, uh, I'll take a risk and grab my guys. I've done my research and maybe if this was a standalone, you know, big money league, I wouldn't have maybe taken a risk like that. But in this kind of situation where you're shooting for an overall crown, uh, I like, but do a lot. So I'll take the shot there. Um, he, I don't think he was going to be coming back to me if I passed on him there, because I think, uh, you know, um, where I got him, there was, you know, there was plenty of people in my league that I knew had an interest uh, in him. So I knew they, and my work is out there for everyone to see. <laughs> so that everyone knows I like Badu, at least most people. So I just decided I just had to grab him there. But yeah, big fan of Badu. Okay. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? Any any trends or any information to gather? And um, I, I know that, you know, you had a couple of big decisions um, in in the middle of the auction, actually at the top of the auction, maybe you can speak to some of the logic behind some of those. Yeah, this was a very non-draft n- draft that I never really do ever ever. I went pitcher pitcher to start, which is very not me. I've I've been doing fantasy baseball for over fifteen years. I've never done it in any league whatsoever. But I picked Garrett Cole with number six, and then coming back to me, Max Scherzer was available, Jacob DeGrom was available, and and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I, I can't leave such a high value. We, we valued Max Scherzer very high. So I either leave that value on the board, let someone else get Max Scherzer, or I go with a hitter because I didn't have any hitters yet, and it was coming back to me, and I was nervous about getting speed because you always want to get speed in the first couple of rounds. So I was thinking either Max Scherzer or Tim Anderson. So I actually chose, and I went in my gut, and that's, that's 
that's what I want to go with this. I said, I said uh, when I was talking this through to Ariel, I'm like, when, when this happened, I said, what should I do? I have no idea what to do. And he said, well, you can go this way, you can go that. And, and in the end, I said, you know what? Let's take the risk. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to go with Max Scherzer and you know what? Tim Anderson came back to me. So if I, I thought he was going to come back to me based on the room. When the draft I'm number 6 and it was going back to me going the other way to, toward 1 and I saw that most of the people there had steals already. And if they had steals already, I was trying to count down, okay, this person has steals. This st- stole base me off the guy uh, off the board. This stole base me off the board and I think it's possible that Tim Anderson may still get back to me, and it did, and I got very lucky with that. Another thing that I never do, and I did it here, I drafted Byron Buxton. I don't like injury risks, and he's always an injury risk, and I'm like, you know what? Let's try it. I, I need some more stolen bases because I because I had the two pitchers on top. I wanted to make sure I got some stolen bases, and then toward the end of the draft, just like Matt, you said, I the third base was just, I, I ended up with Alec Bohm as my third baseman, which I just didn't like. So what I did toward the end of the draft, I bulked up on a whole bunch of other possible third basemen, and I can just play whoever's hot. I got Isaac Kainer for Leffa. I got Yandy Diaz, who's eligible at third. I got Wilmer Flores, who's eligible at third. I got, I think, Hunter Dozier may be eligible at third. I'm not sure about that. Um, so all these guys, they can I can just plug them in in case my third baseman doesn't work out because I knew that was my weakest spot, so I just worked on it. And I think that's how you should go about looking when you go into a draft. If you see you have a weak spot early on, try to address it later in the draft because if you can do that, you won't be searching the waiver wire as much because if I didn't pick those guys, I'm going to be looking the whole time for a third baseman on the waiver wire, and I, and I just know it, especially if Alec Bohm doesn't, you know, he, he, he showed power this today, but it's just spring training. It doesn't mean anything yet. And you know what? I, I want to have a well-rounded team. And it turned out that because I took pitchers, two pitchers to start, the whole configuration of my team was different than what I in- imagined because I had to plan differently just because of the two. It was I, I, I it was it threw me off my game completely. Just put it that way. Yeah, you have to be prepared to go with, with what the room gives you and take the values of what they give you. Probably also the fact that you were in the middle uh, mattered because in the middle you can swoop up value a little bit better than at the back end where you really do have to take the statistics above all else. Um, for me, I think that the uh, the messages here are uh, catchers are very, very priced up. In my league, uh, you couldn't go outside of the top three rounds without the top three catchers. Um, you have to pay for these catchers this year just so, you know, and th- that is going to filter out to your home leagues. Maybe to, not to this extent, but it will be. Pitchers going in the last three years, the theme, very early, you know, eight pitchers in the first two rounds. Um, home leagues, I don't expect you to see that, uh, that craziness, but you are going to have to pay relative to what it was four or five years ago. Um, closers are pushed up as we've seen. They probably won't be pushed up as much as we get a couple more signings and as home teams aren't the crazy DCs that a lot of this ADP is made up of. But uh, closers are going higher than they used to. And you know you can debate whether the it's it's right or not. In my TGFBI uh, fourth round, I decided to take Rysel Iglesias because um, I'm not confident with the closer situation all over the place. And I grabbed uh, Taylor Rogers later. I grabbed uh, Lou Trevino late. I also took shots on uh, one or two other closers just for the heck of it. But uh, I I did think it was important to get the closer, and I had to take him because he was going to be taken in the next couple of picks anyways. Well, thanks. I mean, I had a lot to do with the, uh, with this being an overall, like I already said, but, uh, I, I am also a big fan of taking, I, a lot of people don't do this. Uh, it, 
Reuven uh, used the back half of his draft great to fill in needs you uh, that he just had. Like you said, he, he plugged in the third base as as well as he could. But I love if I'm if you're happy with where you're at. I, I love taking those last spots to not necessarily. Um, throw up guaranteed at bats. If there's a waiver situation, you know, if you have waivers and you can fix it, I, I just took a bunch of dart throws um, that I really of players. I liked, like I have Carlos Carrasco in the 22. If he's healthy, he looked healthy today. That could pay off in a big way. And then I took a late for hitters, Tyrone Taylor, which huge, huge, <laughs> huge stake through the heart when Andrew McCutcheon side with, uh, with the Brewers, but that could still work out. Christian Yelich and, uh, Lorenzo Cain will not be staying on their feet for very long, at least at the same time, probably. Uh, J.D. Davis and Dom Smith back-to-back. Again, I expect there to be trades, uh, at least uh, one, if not both. At least at the time, now it's looking less, maybe less likely, but I think one of the two definitely gets traded. I get some there, and then I took, like, Reed Detmers, and then cashed out in a big way with Josh Harrison. Um, you know, could be the nearly starting everyday starting second baseman for the White Sox. I was betting on him just going back to Oakland, uh, the the shell of Oakland and maybe batting third for just like a quadruple A team. But I like taking shots uh, in situations like this and leagues like this where you want to shoot for the moon a little bit. And if it doesn't work out, you just kind of move on because even though it is a 15 team league, um, at that point in the draft, at least hitter wise, uh, there's no really sure thing. So you might as well shoot for the shoot for the moon as far as narratives go. Yeah, one thing I tried not to do was to overspend for a big, a big uh, Miles Straw, and I had a I had an opportunity in the ninth round to take Miles Straw, and I was debating it, but I didn't want to do that. Uh, instead, I took Ahmed Rosario, who personally I'm not in love with, although he was the top guy on my projections board, so. A top guy, he fits my profile. I don't want to go full on. You know, I'll take 15 steals. I don't need to get the 30. I, I piece together, you know, 15 from Baez, 15 steals from India, a couple from Soto, a uh, couple here, a couple from Hap. I, I like that build better uh, than going for the 30, um, it, which is funny. I could have taken Straw because I, I happen to have taken Joey Gallo later, um, which is... <laughs> Which is an adventure in and of its own. Um, my team, you know, it's funny. I took Gallo. I also took Gary Sanchez, and oh boy, I didn't believe I would take that. I did get a lot of average at the top. I mean, Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, at the very top. Mitch Garver, my other catcher, who is an average guy, balances it out. Maybe I'm a little bit light on average, but um, yeah. Listen, you, you take what the room was available. Gallo was by far the highest value at the point. And I say, all right, my, I have soda to balance them out. I'll take the 40 homers. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to do that. You, you take what the room hands you is really the message on, on draft. So value, value, value. That, that's, that's how I do it. And in the very end, take whoever you want. You know, take your shots. All right, that will do it for part one of our episode with Matt Williams. On our next show, we'll talk about what to look for in spring training, your mailbag, and an extended injury report by Ruvain. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.